Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. So I want to encourage you, just right off the bat, to go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, There should be one in the seat back near you, or you can open up uh, your Bible app to Matthew chapter 5, uh, 17 through 20. That's where we're going to be this morning. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. We've uh, made it into kind of what is the the back end of the introduction uh, to the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll get kind of into the meat of it coming up in the next few weeks. But as we uh, begin, I just wanted you to, to actually get a Bible in your hand, if you can. E- even if you have your own Bible app, if there's one near you, I want you to grab it and just hold it in your hand for a second, because I want to ask you a question uh, this morning with the Bible in your hand. Uh, and this is the question that I want to ask you. If, you. if you've got a Bible in your hand, what I want you to think about is how would you explain what you're holding to someone who had never seen a Bible or never heard of the Bible? How would you explain what you're actually holding in your hands if you were to encounter someone who had no previous exposure, for example, uh, to Judaism uh, or to the Christian faith? No concept of the Bible. Um, it was interesting to me as we uh, got to celebrate World Mission Sunday last week, we had Jerry and Stacy Kramer here. And if you were not able to be here, I encourage you, uh, we'll, we'd love to make that available to you privately. We haven't posted the sermon online uh, just in order to protect them. They serve in sensitive places in the world. Um, but if you have not had a chance to hear that, I would encourage you to email us at info at apostles. We'd love to share that with you just privately. But it was such an encouragement to hear them talk about ministering uh, to uh, unreached people groups. These are people groups that have no faithful gospel witness in their midst. Or I think he said one per every 400,000 is kind of the, the number of missionaries to unreached people. And so just thinking about that, people who have never met a Christian, never heard of Jesus, how would you explain the Bible to someone like that? The people that the Kramers are working with, for example. Just thinking about that, you might start by saying, well, it's a book, right? Like you're, you're holding in your hand a book, this book called the Bible. Uh, you might kind of expand on it from that, saying, well, it's a book. It's, it's a book specifically uh, that is about God and maybe his relationship with humanity down through history. You could describe it that way, give a little bit of context. You, you could expand that. You could say, well, actually, it's not just a book. It's a collection of books, right? It's, it's a collection of all these different kinds of writings. Uh, it's history and biography. It's poetry. It's legal code. It's proverbs. It's letters. It's prophecy. All these different kinds of genres gathered by all these different authors over thousands of years on three different continents, right? All contained within your hand, which you're holding right here this morning. Um, you, you could come at it this way. You could say, well, actually, this is a story, Right? You, could, you could say what's contained within all those writings actually is one overarching story, a story about how we were made for life with God and what's gone wrong with the world and, and with us and how God has acted, acted to rescue us and restore us and make us whole. And so you, you might say things like that if you're just trying to give somebody a sense of what is this thing called the Bible? What is it that you're holding in our hands? Now, in our culture, in, in America, more and more people have a problem with the book you are holding in your hand. People have a problem with the Bible. Uh, 
people, maybe they've read it and they don't really understand it. Right? They, they've tried to kind of venture into Scripture and it's just, it's been tough. And to be honest, the Bible can be tough. The Bible can be tough to understand. It can be tough to, to, to kind of process in places that can seem really weird and irrelevant. Some people have read it and, and they not only don't understand it, but they actually do understand it and they reject it. So some in our culture have come to a place where they see the Bible as kind of this, uh, this holdover uh, uh, of intolerance, kind of um, you know, regressive ways of thinking about the world and about human beings. It's misogynistic, right? It's, it's, it's racist. It's, uh, it's uh, homophobic. All these things that people kind of say, oh, that's the Bible, and we don't need that anymore. And so they dismiss the Bible. Uh, maybe the Bible, uh, maybe you're in this room this morning, and the Bible makes you uncomfortable. You're a follower of Jesus. Uh, you believe in the Christian faith, and yet in the moment we live in, the cultural world we live in, there's a reality in which the Bible kind of makes you uncomfortable at points, and you're not really exactly sure what to do with it. A lot of Christians, for example, take the Bible today, and they pick and choose different parts of the Bible uh, that they agree with, and then they kind of find a way to ignore or dismiss the rest. Right? There's a strong temptation to do that. And so as we come to our passage this morning, I bring all that up because I think one of the things that's a real gift in these few verses that we might kind of easily breeze past in our pursuit of uh, some of the things that are coming in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a real precious gift, and that gift is an answer to the question, what does Jesus think about the Bible? Have you ever wondered that? What, what does Jesus actually think about the Bible? And Matthew 5, 17 through 20 tells us. And so I want you to open that in front of you, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, and I just want to look at this and consider Jesus and the Bible for a few minutes this morning, and then we're going to talk about implications for us as followers of Jesus uh, together. So Matthew 5, look at verse 17. Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets, let's stop there. The law and the prophets is basically shorthand, this is oversimplification, but shorthand for what we would today describe as the Old Testament. Right? So it's, it's looking back to the Torah or the collected law or teaching, I think is a better translation of what the Torah is. It's the collected teachings of the people of God, from God. And then also the, the prophets, which we tend to think of, of, of the actual prophetic books, but really this is referencing the history of Israel. So you have the law and the, and the teachings, and then you also have the recorded, divinely revealed, and understood history of God's people Israel. So that's what Jesus is pointing to. And then the Old Testament includes some other uh, parts that we would say, you know, the writings, the wisdom literature, uh, what we call the prophets, uh, and a few various other things. But there's, there's this reference that God has, Jesus has here, to the Old Testament called the law and the prophets. And Jesus says, uh, when it comes to the law and the prophets, which was essentially Jesus' Bible, right? Remember, the New Testament, as we have it, did not exist. And so when he talks about the law and the prophets, he's talking about his Bible. And he says, I've not come to abolish everything that's been written before, but to fulfill it. Now, to abolish means to, to dismantle, to take apart, to, to tear down. And Jesus is saying here, uh, that's not what I've come to do with 
all that's come before. So living in the heights, uh, you see this played out constantly on different lots around our uh, neighborhood. Things get abolished fairly regularly, right? You're, you're driving by one day, there's this old Victorian home. You're driving by the next day, there's an empty lot, right? Things get torn down so that someone can come along and build something completely new in its place. And what Jesus is saying here is he's, he's saying, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not coming to do that. So if there's a misconception that I've come to tear down or dismiss or get rid of or clear the decks from everything that's come before and then I've got something totally new, that's not what I'm doing. Jesus says this about what he is doing, continuing in verse 17, I've not come to abolish them, the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, to fulfill them. It's interesting to me that Jesus chooses this idea of fulfilling to talk about what he has come to do. Uh, so, for example, you might think if, if he's not abolishing, then maybe he's preserving, right? If you find an old house and you want to keep it on the lot, you, you fix it up, you restore it, you, you, you kind of preserve it, right? So, but Jesus hasn't come just to maintain, maintain the status quo of the law and the prophets, so to speak. He's come to do something beyond that. And that's what this word fulfill is actually teaching us. The word fulfill gets used a lot, actually, by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And you could maybe define it this way, if you were to look at all the references to fulfillment in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus, for Jesus to fulfill, means for all that's been promised and all that's been pointed to in the Old Testament is now realized in himself. Let me just say that again. When he says fulfill, what he's saying is all that's been promised before and all that's been said that points ahead, all that is being realized in his person and in his life. So that's what it means that he's fulfilling the law and the prophets. To say it another way, all of history, all of the Bible, everything God has said and done, everything in human history leads to Jesus. So when we say it's fulfilled, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and his teachings on the kingdom of God are fulfilling all that's come before. So we're kind of used to this idea that Jesus might fill that role. That might not be all that surprising to you. But just imagine you're hearing Jesus say this, and this is new information, right? So imagine you just come across uh, the Bible, and you read the Bible, and you, you, you're trying to understand this particular Old Testament, and then somebody stands up on the side of a hill uh, and says, so everything you know you've read about uh, in the Bible, you know what that actually really is about? It's about me. And that's exactly what Jesus says. And so that's why it stirs up a lot of controversy. Jesus is saying, everything about the Bible has pointed to me. Everything that's happened has been leading to me. And so Jesus here is not just another great teacher of the law. There have been many great teachers of the law. He's not just a miracle worker or sign giver. He's, he's not just the founder of another world religion. Right? What Jesus is claiming here is, is pretty unbelievable. He's saying the story of reality, <laughs> everything that has ever been is the story that leads to me, the story that leads to Jesus. 
And so everything in this story, he says, is being fulfilled in him. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. So you might think, in other words, that, well, if Jesus is, is really what this is all about, and Jesus has come, then really do we need all the stuff that's come before Jesus? You might come to that conclusion. Do we really need the Old Testament? And many people uh, down through history have come to that conclusion. When, when they encounter the New Testament, when they encounter the teachings of Jesus, they look at the Old Testament and they kind of reevaluate and they decide, well, there's a lot in there that would be a lot easier to not have to deal with anymore. So let's just maybe leave that stuff about slavery and the violence and the treatment of women and these strange laws and the rules and the scientifically bizarre stuff and all that stuff. We just leave that behind. Just give us Jesus, right? We just want Jesus. And maybe you've heard other Christians say that. We, we, we don't need the Old Testament, or maybe not that. They just say, we just need Jesus, but that's what's implied. We, we don't need all the hard stuff. Just give me Jesus. Jesus says, not so fast. So look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to put your trust in me as your Savior and your Lord, then you have to follow God's teachings. All of them. Another, let me just say that again. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to follow all of Jesus' teachings, which includes all of the Old Testament. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, immediately, that brings up some tricky questions, right? So, if we look at the Torah, the teachings of the Old Testament, and we say, well, these are essential for Jesus followers, how do we actually follow the Torah today? What's for us explicitly and what's not for us explicitly? What's maybe contextual and what's transcendent? How do we wrestle with this question about the teachings and the commands of Jesus in light of, uh, or the Old Testament, in light of Jesus' teachings now. And what I would say is, one, they're not uh, in contradiction. So just right off the bat, I think we can say, okay, Jesus, what he's teaching now, is not in contradiction with the Old Testament. And what Jesus is going to do moving forward now is he's going to show us, actually, how you can take the Torah, the law of God that's come before, and how he's going to teach us to live in light of it, in light of his coming, in the light of giving of his spirit. So he's going to show us how to do that. So that's what we're going to get to as we press on in the Sermon on the Mount. But what Jesus makes clear here is that those who choose not to follow Jesus, in other words, those who reject that idea that they actually have anything to do with the Old Testament, anybody who rejects that idea, Jesus says here that when you teach that, when you believe that, and then you teach others not to follow Jesus in that, there will be consequences. And we might want to try to skirt around this, but, and there's different views about what is Jesus saying here when he talks about the least in the kingdom versus great in the kingdom. And having read a lot of different perspectives, what I would say now, what I would tend to believe is that what Jesus is actually saying here is that those who don't follow him and teach others not to follow him, the least in the kingdom, will be cut off from God for eternity. And there's... 
there's a logic to that, right? There's, there's no kingdom life without Jesus. And if you don't follow Jesus and you don't follow the teachings of Jesus, then really you've set yourself apart from Jesus and from the life he has on offer, from his kingdom. And so I think that's what Jesus is, is saying here. Another way to think of it is that if you want all the life that Jesus promises, you have to actually take up the way of life of Jesus. If you want the Jesus life, you have to take up the Jesus lifestyle. So Jesus is inviting us into that. He's saying you can only experience the joy and the hope and the peace and the healing and the deliverance and the salvation that I have on offer if you put your trust in me and you obey me. It's not a part A and part B. It's all one. Trust and obey. There is no such thing as a Christian who believes and does not seek to obey. Jesus. And so if we wonder how serious Jesus is about this, he goes on to say this. Verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says you have to follow me completely, totally, all in with me. Your righteousness, your rightness uh, with God in me and your rightness of heart because of me has to be so true and so real within you that you actually are living out of that. And that it's, it's resulting in action, not just this kind of cerebral belief. He's saying you have to, you have to live out this life that I have on offer. Righteousness is not just your status before God, in other words. It's how we live. And righteousness has to be, he says, even surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, why does he say it this way? I think it's helpful just to step back and say, okay, the Pharisees, they, they get a bad rap, right, in the gospel. They, they get treated pretty harshly. And I think one of the errors that we can make when we see this and we see how Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and the criticism and the harsh words he has for them is we can actually think that the Pharisees are just kind of this plot foil. They're just these villains, right? They're, it's very kind of good guys and bad guys. Uh, and the Pharisees, I think, gets, uh, get kind of set up as a straw man in that way. It's more helpful, I think, to realize that the Pharisees are a, a prime example of people in Jesus' day who are genuinely trying to follow the law and the prophets. Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. They're genuinely trying to do that. Every iota right, and dot of the law, they, they are religiously committed to that, the scribes and the Pharisees. But there's something askew with that desire and the state of their heart, right? So that's, that's the fundamental issue that Jesus is trying to address. And it actually symbolizes the fundamental problem that we all have, right? Even though we try to be righteous, there's something off between our attempts and our own flesh and the spirit-filled, spirit-empowered ability to follow Jesus in righteousness. So I, I just want to reframe maybe the way we think about Pharisees. So maybe think about Pharisees not just as these kind of enemies and the bad guys in the, in the Bible, but as really some of the most saintly, godly people in a lot of ways that you'll encounter in Scripture. You, you might even put them in, in a class in some ways like a Mother Teresa. What if you thought of them like a John Stott or a Billy Graham? Think of the martyred saints and the missionaries, right? People who, uh, in a sense, hold in our minds a place of kind of 
reverence and awe because of what they have done in faith. So what is Jesus saying to us if, if we kind of hold the Pharisees in that place? I think what he's saying is when you truly seek to follow him, it's not just about the outside. It's about the outside and the inside being transformed. So in Matthew 23, 25 through 27, we get a glimpse of this. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've chosen to be clean. Clean, but not, not on the inside. It's just on the outside, right? They are clean on the outside. Don't miss that. But there's something off within their hearts. And so looking uh, like Mother Teresa, in other words, just mimicking her, the model, is not the goal for Jesus. He's not saying just be better, try harder, do more. What he's saying is that to be transformed actually takes a work of the Spirit through faith in him. That we actually want to change how we live, and that means changing who we are. So that's the invitation that Jesus has here. What Jesus is describing here is what's promised in the verses we just read from Jeremiah 31. Listen to this again. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write it on their hearts, on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what Jesus is after here in the Sermon on the Mount. A change of heart that leads to a change of life. So, kind of working through all of that maybe leads to what, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus today? What does that mean for us? Um, so I want to suggest that maybe you could summarize it with this, that life with Jesus requires us to learn to read like Jesus. Part of what Jesus is saying here is that the scriptures actually are a gift to us as followers of Jesus. And if we want to learn to live with Jesus, we have to learn to read like Jesus. If we want to become the kinds of people that God's called us to be, we have to learn to read like Jesus. Specifically, we have to learn to read the Bible like Christ read the Bible. So how can we do that? Two ways I want to suggest. First, we read the story of Israel being fulfilled in Jesus. We read the story of Israel as being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Everything about Jesus was anticipated in the Old Testament. So the more we understand the Old Testament, the more we can understand Jesus. You can understand the gospel without the Old Testament. Most of us do come to Christ that way. But it's kind of like watching the last 10 minutes of the best two-hour movie ever made, right? You can get it. You can see the ultimate end and what it means, but there's all this important stuff that comes before that helps you understand that last 10 minutes and appreciate it. Uh, you might think of it about like reading the last few pages of a story, right? So uh, it's just this idea that there's more and there's more of Jesus to see. And we want to see Jesus. The more we want to see Jesus, the more we will become hungry for God's word, in particular for the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament feeds our hunger for Jesus. And so we need to eat. We need to eat more of God's word, more of the Old Testament. So we read the story of Israel because in the story of Israel, uh, we find Jesus and all the promises being fulfilled in him. So second, I would say we read uh, the whole Bible with Jesus. I think one of the things we can take from this is that we want to read the Bible with Jesus and not just the New Testament, but the whole Bible. J.I. Packer once said 
The traveler through the biblical landscape misses his way as soon as he loses sight of the hill called Calvary. Jesus, in other words, is our true north that helps us navigate the sometimes difficult and always immeasurable depths of the scriptures. He guides us. So as Christians, uh, the reality is that we, we see Jesus everywhere. Jesus is everywhere to be found. He is always with us. And so as we read the scriptures, if we take his promise seriously, then we can trust that he actually reads the scriptures with us and that he actually guides us. In other words, Jesus isn't just a concept or a theory. He's actually a person. And that person is with us, not only in the scriptures, but as we read the scriptures. The scriptures are revealed to us through the power of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus. And so when we read Genesis 1 and 2 at creation, we find Jesus and Jesus is teaching us as he helps us read. He points out his presence in the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He shows us that he was at the Red Sea delivering the people from slavery. He brings us to the burning bush so we can see him in the promised land, in Israel's victories and failures. He was there in the exile. We see him again and again and we hear him as he opens up the word to us just like he did on the road to Emmaus. So we encounter the scriptures with Jesus. I love how one uh, author, Scott McKnight, he, he kind of illustrated this. He said, when you encounter the, the, the scriptures with Jesus in light of what's already happened, it's kind of like watching a football game when you already know that the Chiefs won. <laughs> That's for Ryan, by the way, because he's a huge KC fan, right? So why, it'd be like watching the Super Bowl and you know that the, the Chiefs won, and then you watch it again, right? And it kind of changes the way you see everything that comes up to the final second of the game. That incomplete pass that happened in the first quarter feels a little bit different than it did in the moment, right? That, that two-touchdown lead that dissipated in the fourth quarter, I'm not making prophecy, I'm just saying. <laughs> right? Things feel different when you know the ultimate end, when you know, in other words, that victory has already come. And that's how we read the scriptures with Jesus. It's like reading Harry Potter and knowing that Voldemort gets beat, right? It's like reading, uh, it's like reading Les Mis and knowing how Valjean's life ends and the redemption, right? So to experience, in other words, the scriptures with Jesus is completely different. It's completely different. To experience life with Jesus, we have to read like Jesus and with Jesus. To become like Jesus, we have to read like Jesus and with Jesus. To love the way Jesus loves, we have to read like him. Too many Christians today don't read the Bible. Too many Christians don't read the Bible. The truth is it's not optional for us. It's not optional for followers of Christ. And maybe this morning that, that pricks something in you. And this is not about heaping guilt. Don't read the Bible out of guilt. The reality is that without the Bible, we're starving ourselves of Jesus. It'd be like if you found the person you loved and wanted to spend the rest of your life with and you discovered they'd written you a hundred love letters. Why wouldn't you read them? The Bible is a gift to us. And so if you're feeling spiritually starved, if you're feeling apathy, if you're feeling skeptical, confused, God has a gift for you. It's his word. And you'll encounter him in the word. And he'll be with you in the word. 
A.W. Tozer said, nothing less than the whole Bible can give us a whole Christian. It takes the whole Bible to give us a whole Christian. And so I just encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a hunger for God's word, for this Bible that Jesus is saying he's come to fulfill, for this Bible that he says gives you life and life with him for eternity. Find a simple Bible plan. Start reading through it. Uh, the Bible, start to finish. If you've never done that, I encourage you to try that. There are apps that can help you do that. There's books that can help you do that. Um, you can use the Daily Office in the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, there's apps you can download. Feed right into your calendar. Gives you a reminder every morning. Here, this is the passages to read. There are tools that can help you, but let's read the Bible. Join a life group. You know what we do in life group? We read God's word together. It's one of our fundamental commitments to be people who are reading through the Bible with Jesus together. So if you want the whole Jesus, my encouragement is read the whole Bible. If you want the whole Jesus, read the whole Bible. Don't settle for the Jesus of your imagination. Don't settle for the Jesus that's secondhand through other books. I love books. Y'all know I love books. Read the Bible. Encounter the Christ of the Bible. The more we read the Bible with Jesus, the more we will experience life with him. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.